Welcome to Workday's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2019 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will conduct a question and answer session towards the end of the call. And with that, I'll hand it over to Mike McGarrow, Vice President of Investor Relations. Welcome to Workday's fourth quarter fiscal 2019 earnings conference call. On the call, we have Anil Bushri, our CEO, Robin Sisko, our co-president and CFO, Chano Fernandez, our co-president, and Tom Bogan, CEO, Adaptive Insight. Following Anil and Robin's prepared remarks, we will take questions. Our press release was issued after the close of market and is posted on our website, where this call is being simultaneously webcast. Statements made on this call include forward-looking statements regarding our financial results, applications, customer demand, operations, and other matters. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Please refer to the press release and the risk factors and documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our most recent quarterly report on Form 10-Q for information on risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth in such statements. In addition, during today's call, we'll discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe are useful as supplemental measures of Workday's performance. These non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation from GAAP results. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP results in our earnings press release and on the investor relations page of our website. The webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 90 days on our company website under the investor relations link. Also, the customers page of our website includes a list of selected customers and is updated monthly. Our first quarter quiet period begins on April 15, 2019. Unless otherwise stated, all financial comparisons in this call will be to our results for the comparable period of our fiscal 2018. With that, let me hand it over to Anil. Thank you, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for our fourth quarter earnings call. I'm pleased to report that Workday had another strong quarter, capping off a great year. We continue to attract new customers, and many of our current customers are growing their investments with us. We now have over 2,600 customers, and our commitment to their success is demonstrated by our 98% customer satisfaction rate and broad referenceability. In Q4, we saw healthy demand across all product areas. Starting out with Workday HCM, we had another strong quarter as we continued to lead the market with our differentiated suite of products. In total, we added 10 new Fortune 500 customers and now have approximately 40% of the Fortune 500 using our HCM product line including half of the Fortune 50. New customers include AP Mahler Marsk, Caterpillar, Sumitomo Chemical, and Wyndham Worldwide Operations. We continue to land these large marquee accounts in no small part due to our proven ability to uniquely support our customers' high volumes of data and transactions. Notable go-lives in Q4 include Lloyds Bank, PLC, McKesson, and Siemens AG. Switching over to the world of finance, Q4 was our best quarter ever for our financial management product line. In the fourth quarter, we added 79 core financial management customers, including four new Fortune 500 customers, two of which were net new customers and two of which who were existing customers that added on financials. A few of the notable new financial management customers include Rider Truck, Ameriprise, and Banner Health. 
One interesting new trend is that we're beginning to see large enterprise companies now starting their finance and HR journeys with Workday Financial Management. This is a new development and something we view as a positive indication of the growing awareness of our financial management applications and the high levels of satisfaction our finance customers have experienced in the past several years. In addition to the strong growth from our core financial management suite, we saw strong momentum in our second full quarter selling the Adaptive Insight business planning cloud. Indeed, it was an excellent quarter of execution within the core Adaptive Insight business with over 200 new planning customers for its standalone offering. We also achieved great success bringing Adaptive Insights into new large enterprise opportunities as add-on sales into the existing Workday customer base, adding planning in more than 50 new Workday platform deals and 30 existing Workday accounts. With Workday Prism Analytics, we had a record quarter in terms of number of new customers and again had triple-digit ACV growth, giving us strong momentum heading into fiscal year 20. Indeed, our customers seem to be resonating with the idea of bringing any type of operational data securely into Workday in order to deliver better business insights and outcomes. Switching to the people front, a key part of our success continues to be our vibrant company culture, which allows us to maintain high levels of employee satisfaction and greatly helps us attract and retain talent across all levels of the company. To that end, I'd like to thank our entire team for making Workday number four on Fortune's 100 Best Companies to Work For list in the U.S. Being a great place to work is something that Dave and I have cared about since day one, and it's an honor for the Workday team to be recognized on these prestigious lists. As we look forward to fiscal year 20 and beyond, we will continue our relentless focus on innovation and expect to see continued momentum from our growing family of applications. We are confident in the pipeline we have built and the sales execution model we have in place. As such, we expect fiscal year 20 to be another strong year of growth. I will now turn it over to our CFO and co-president, Robin Sisko. Over to you, Robin. Thanks, Neil, and good afternoon, everyone. Our fourth quarter capped a very strong year as we continue to demonstrate momentum across our subscription revenue growth drivers. We not only added a record number of net new customers in Q4, we also closed a record number of core financials deals. Our high levels of customer satisfaction continue to drive strong renewal rates and add-on sales, supporting our thesis that satisfied customers not only become long-term customers, but grow their relationships with us over time, both of which drive long-term shareholder value. Our subscription revenue grew 37% to $674 million for the fourth quarter and was up 33% to $2.386 billion for the full year. Total revenue was $789 million in Q4, reflecting growth of 35% from last year and $2.822 billion, or growth of 32% for the full year. We continue to see global expansion as one of our growth levers, with total revenue outside the U.S. up 41% to $184 million in Q4, representing 23% of total revenue. Subscription revenue backlog was $6.74 billion, growth of 30% year-over-year, driven by strong net new bookings, success with add-on sales into our customer base, and strong renewals with net retention once again over 100%. Subscription revenue backlog that will be recognized within the next 24 months was $4.47 billion, or growth of 29%. Our non-GAAP operating profit for the fourth quarter was $93 million, or 11.8%. For the year, non-GAAP operating profit grew 35% to $291 million, or 10.3% of total revenue. 
benefiting from strong collections in Q4, operating cash flow for fiscal 19 was $607 million, representing 30% growth from last year. The integration of Adaptive Insights has gone extremely well, and the headwind to cash flow from the transaction and integration costs we incurred in the second half of FY19 is now largely behind us. Current unearned revenue was $1.84 billion in Q4, up 29% year-over-year, while total unearned revenue grew 27% year-over-year to $1.95 billion. We successfully added and integrated more than 2,300 net new employees to Workday this year, which includes approximately 500 from the Adaptive Insights acquisition, bringing our total employee count at year-end to over 10,500. Operationally, we continue to execute well against our long-term vision, and our great second-half performance kept a very strong year. Now let me turn to guidance for fiscal 2020. As we enter the year, we see strong growth levers across all our products and geographies. We remain early in addressing our long-term opportunity, with most of our products still in the beginning phases of their growth curves, and you should continue to expect that we will reinvest any incremental top-line overperformance this year. For the first quarter, we expect subscription revenue to be between 692 and 694 million, representing 33% year-over-year growth. For the full year, we are raising our subscription revenue guidance to a range of 3.03 to 3.045 billion, representing year-over-year growth of 27 to 28%. Sequentially, we expect subscription revenue to increase from the previous quarter by approximately 7% in Q2 and approximately 5.5% in Q3 and 4. On the professional services front, we continue to value and support a growing SI ecosystem. Our partners are seeing robust growth in their workday practices, and we will continue our tight alignment with them to ensure customers have successful implementations that support the highest levels of customer satisfaction and business value. We are expecting professional services revenue to be approximately $120 million in Q1 and $500 million for fiscal 2020, growth of 24% and 15% respectively. Professional services margins will be slightly lower than last year as we continue to invest in programs to support customer deployments and to sustain our high levels of customer satisfaction. As we enter FY20, I want to reiterate that we don't run the business to maximize either unearned revenue or calculated billing. As we discussed throughout this past fiscal year, our focus continues to be on new customer acquisition and long-term customer economics, which means that we will likely continue to see variability in unearned revenue throughout the year. We believe that our subscription revenue backlog is a much better gauge of the health of our business over the long term. And even though backlog will have some variability quarter to quarter based on contract duration and the timing of renewals, including early renewals associated with add-on business, unlike billings and unearned, it filters out the noise caused by varying invoicing terms. Based on our current outlook, we expect total subscription revenue backlog to have year-over-year -year growth in the high 20% range in the first half of the year. Given the accelerated growth we experienced in the back half of FY19, the comps get more difficult in the second half of FY20, 
So we are currently expecting year-over-year growth in the second half to be in the low 20s. Consistent with the preliminary outlook we gave last quarter, we expect a 200 basis point improvement in our non-GAAP operating margin for the full year, bringing our margin to approximately 12.3% for FY20. The margin improvement reflects leverage as we scale with continued investment in products and other areas of business to support our long-term growth aspirations. We estimate non-GAAP operating margins of approximately 13% in Q1 and expect a normal seasonal sequential decline in Q2 as we invest in our people through our annual compensation process. The GAAP margins for the first quarter and the full year are expected to be approximately 27 to 28 percentage points lower than the non-GAAP margin. We expect operating cash flow in FY20 to be approximately 790 million or 30% growth. The non-GAAP tax rate remains 17% for FY20. Our Pleasanton Development Center construction project will be completed this year and we plan to begin occupying the building in Q2. The FY20 capital outlay for this project will be approximately $130 million and be front-loaded towards the first half of the year. We expect to spend an additional $280 million in FY20 to support our other capital needs, primarily related to investments in data centers to support our customer growth, leased facilities and corporate IT infrastructure to support our continued business expansion, and large furniture purchases in Q1 as we prepare the development center for occupation. And finally, I'll close by thanking our amazing customers, partners, and employees for their continued support and hard work, which allowed us to deliver great results this past year. We are still in the early stages of executing against our long-term vision as a company, but our progress wouldn't be possible without shared goals. We look forward to updating you on our progress throughout the year. With that, let's begin the Q&A process. At this time, I would like to inform everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that will be star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Mark Murphy from J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. Yes, thank you, and uh, congrats on an incredible finish to the year. Um, I wanted to ask about the four Fortune 500 wins in financials in a single quarter. Seems impressive. And just to clarify, I, I think two were HCM customers, which added financials. Um, two, I believe you said were net new. Does that mean that they were platform wins or financials only? And then um, could you just comment on, in general on which incumbent systems are being replaced more commonly? Uh, well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Mark, uh, for the question. Uh, you, you got that right. Two were existing HCM customers. Um, Chano can answer the question about uh, the other two being financials only. Uh, and, and we, can, we can come back to that. I would say of the 79 new financial customers, we saw for the first time a pattern of financial only or financial first that, frankly, was, was enough of a group of companies to actually, to actually think of it as a pattern. Um, 
you know, it's it's the typical systems you'd expect to be replaced. Uh, uh, the legacy ERP systems, including the one we know best, PeopleSoft, but but the others as well. So all the basically the the large the large company incumbents. Okay, that's helpful. And then, Anil, just to, just as a follow up, we noticed a recent article alluding to the possibility of Workday reaching 10 billion in revenue in six years. And I guess I'm not sure if you plan to comment or address that, but I think the the last uh, multi-year target we heard from Mark Peak was 4 billion. And so, just curious, you know, if you if you're sensing some incremental confidence in um, starting to think about a much higher number and maybe just what mix of business would financials contribute if the, if the company uh, becomes multiples of its current size? Well, that, that number was really, it's, first of all, it's aspirational and it was internal to our employees uh, and to get them excited about our future. We, we definitely feel like we have the market opportunity to get there and, uh, and it's all about the, the persistent growth rate over the next number of years in terms of how long we get there. You know, I have a ton of admiration for what Mark Benioff and Salesforce has done in getting to that and now passing that number. And, you know, we'd like to be the same. I, I don't, we're not at a place yet to talk about uh, the, the, the relative splits. All we can say is that our our market opportunity across all of our different products is definitely sizable enough uh, to get us there. Thank you. And, and, and the reason we updated the goal is we're, you know, given guidance, we're going to be close to the $4 billion target. Well, I mean, we'll be, you know, we'll be in the north of three this year. So um, you know, got to keep people focused on the future. And, uh, and we needed to, to think about the next, the next target to, to get people thinking about the long term internally. Mark, this is uh, Chano speaking on the two new core Fortune 500 financials. They were platform deals. Do, okay, do got it. Comment, Thank do, you, John. Do you want to comment, John? Uh, you want to comment on on what you're seeing in terms of uh, financials only as well? Yes, we, as Anil mentioned on his script, we are seeing a new trend where large enterprise companies now are leading their transformations with Workday financials, and that's a key compelling discussion before we discussing the HCN opportunity. So we see this as a new development, and, and we believe it's a positive indication of the reputation we have built with our product and, and customers in the marketplace within financials. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Justin Furby from William Blair. Your line is now open. Oh, thanks, guys, and nice quarter. Um, I guess for either Anil or Chano, I wanted to ask about the medium enterprise because I guess the tone from partners in that space has picked up quite a bit over the last six or nine months. I wanted to see if you're seeing that in your results as well and if you could give a sense for sort of what percentage or some sense of the mix of your overall business today is medium enterprise. And when you look out longer term, you think that mix will go up, down, stay constant. Any sort of thoughts there would be helpful. Uh, I, I think you are uh, accurate in that we had a we had a great quarter for medium enterprise. I mean, we had a great quarter across all all the parts of the business, but medium enterprise in particular grew uh, faster than than large enterprise, just just given the number of accounts. And I think I think it's a testament to our lower cost deployment model in that in that segment of the market really taking hold. Um, Chandi, you want to you want to add anything to that? 
No, I think you you're right, Justin. We're seeing a strong growth. Uh, as we said, in other calls, they, they usually are generally buys the flu platform, uh, and it is clearly a testament of the of the go lives, uh, the value, and clearly the lowered uh, implementation cost. Um, and we're now more focused on driving the same basically implementation methodology outside of the U.S. internationally as we go into FY20 and beyond. Okay, that's helpful. And then I, I wanted to ask on M&A because it seems like the early uh, results on adaptive have been really positive. And, Anil, I'm wondering if that changes your view at all on M&A when you look out over the medium term. Do you think you could do another deal of that sort of size or even bigger? And, and what sort of things are interesting to you in, in, from an M&A standpoint? Thanks. Um, I don't know if it changes our perspective. It, we have a, a very narrow filter, and uh, Adaptive fit that on so many fronts. Number one, we have very similar value systems. Adaptive, Adaptive is focused on on their employees, on their customers, and on innovation. Tom Bogan is a close friend for you know 15 years, and so uh, integrations go well based on trust and cultural fit. And, and if you apply that filter, it, it narrows the group to a, a pretty short list of, of companies that that fit. And I'm not going to comment on what industries or what spaces, but I think uh, the adaptive uh, the adaptive experience has been a great experience. And I think a huge part of it is the is the cultural alignment. And where we've had misses in the past on, on much smaller opportunities, it, it's been also around cultural alignment. So it's that is the that is the key factor for us. And I don't know if Tom, you want to add anything to that? No, I agree, Neil. And I, and I I do think the the cultural alignment is really important. And and what I might add to that was the opportunity for Adaptive to leverage uh, the core workday sales force, particularly around large enterprise and international opportunities. And I think that's one of the elements that's made uh, this acquisition so successful in the early days. Got it. That's helpful. Thanks, guys. Congrats. Next question comes from the line of Ross McMillan from RBC. Your line is now open. Thanks so much, and my congratulations, too. Um, I'm just curious, as you start to um, see this pattern change on financials, um, either Anil or Chana, do you feel you need to um, change anything in the sales org? And maybe specifically, is there an opportunity to um, you know, create a, a sort of new motion, standalone financials motion. And then uh, just as a follow-up, Robin, I want, or Neil, do, do you have the, um, the ACV, new ACV growth for financials this quarter? Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll let Robin answer the second part. I, I think we have the right set of motions. I don't really think it requires a, a change in motions. I think it it just means that as we engage with the customer, we should we should make sure we ask the question, what is the scope of the project, uh, and not just default to, the, default to, hey, they're going to lead with HR because that's been the pattern we've known for the last, like say, five years, but probably for the last decade. If that's changing, we just have to really listen to our customers and our prospects as to where they want to go first. Uh, I, I think overall, we're in a world of digital transformation. Those are the buzzwords that, uh, that, that get used quite often, but it's true. And as finance gets the finance uh, organization gets more comfortable with the cloud, and frankly, as our products mature and we continue to have success with deployments, um, this is very similar to, to what happened in the client-server wave as well. Uh, client-server started out with 
with products like HR and then got more into mission-critical applications like finance as the technology matured. I think we're actually seeing a very similar pattern this time around. I'd also add that uh, one of the reasons I think we're getting Financial's first conversations is that the the uh, adaptive products are opening the door to the CFO earlier, or in some cases, uh, they're opening the door for the first time, and then we can have that broader conversation. So I wouldn't underestimate the power of, of now having a conversation not just around core financials, but also around um, around the, the planning uh, products from adaptive and also the, the prism analytics on the analysis side. We can tell a full story around planning, execution, and analysis, and that's, and that's key for the, the CFO community and the finance organizations. Robin, do you want to comment on uh, on growth rates? Yeah, absolutely. So our net new ACV financials, uh, financial management growth rate was still very, very strong. Uh, keep in mind we had a tough compare from Q4 last year where we had some very large uh, financials wins as well, but it continues to be very strong and outpaced the HCM ACV growth, um, and that is driving um, revenue growth over 50% still on the financial management side. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Moldler from Bernstein Research. Your line is now open. Thank you. And again, congrats on the quarter. Um, uh, two questions. The first one is, um, can you give us some sense for these platform sales uh, in terms of the revenue mix between HCM and financials? And then I have a follow-up. Uh, 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 Chana, you want to take that one on? Yeah, I would say that uh, you could tell approximately 1-1 ratio. Uh, depends, of course, on additional SKUs in terms of the full scope that the customers may be buying. Perfect. Thank you. And then as a uh, follow-up, you're seeing, you were discussing how you're seeing um, not just the customer growth, but you're getting more revenue per customer. Um, can you give us a sense of what the drivers are that's allowing you to sell up? Is that selling new products into the new customers? Is it sales of incremental usage? I know obviously it changes all the time, but again, what anything that can give us some color on what's driving the incremental revenue per, per customer? It's, it's generally the sale of additional modules. And I think uh, I, I point to a, a couple a couple trends along that line. When you have happy customers, they definitely look to buy from vendors that they've had a good experience with. And once they're live with, uh, you know, typically a customer will start with core HR or maybe core HR and payroll on the HR side, core accounting on the accounting side. Once they're live, they'll look to extend the footprint. So getting customers into production as quickly as possible and using our, our, our core capabilities then opens up the door for learning, for recruiting, for prism analytics, for planning, for time tracking, for those that didn't pick payroll up front, payroll, and so now that we have, you know, over 2,600 customers and 70% are in production, we have a big base of customers that are already up and, produ up and running in our products, and, and it's just created a big base of, of uh, opportunity to go back in and see what else would, would be useful to them. Excellent. That's very, very helpful, and again, congrats on the quarter. Next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Excellent. Uh, th uh, thank you guys for taking the question. And 
very nice strong, uh, and strong close to uh, FY19. Uh, two questions sort of looking forward into sort of the FY20 guide. Um, I, I hate to be kind of Debbie Downer, but what's the macro environment that you're thinking about in the forward year? And is there any indications that, because I mean, if there's definitely some macro indicators that are starting to sort of roll over and slow down. Any indication that that's impacting your pipelines or sort of getting you concerned as of yet, or is just sort of the, the, the strategic focus on uh, digitalization and, and financials just out, outweighing any any macro concerns that guys have. And then um, maybe a follow-up question for, for Robin on the, the margin side of the equation. I, I understand that sort of the focus of the company is still very much on sort of the growth side of the equation. Can you help us better understand kind of the, the puts and takes between sort of the more mature HCM business and the types of margins you're seeing there versus the, the financial side of the equation where you're still putting a lot of investment in and how that kind of dynamic is um, impacting margins in the near term? Uh, you know, on the first question, um, uh, I was in uh, I was at a, a conference and saw one of our large financial services customers talk about uh, their view of the economy and I, I, uh, the global economy, and I I tend to really resonate with his point of view. He broke it into three buckets: businesses, consumers, and then government. Generally, businesses and CEOs have a positive outlook on their on their uh, businesses and on the environment. Um, the global economy continues to, to move forward in a, at a nice pace. The, the general global consumer is spending money and, and generally uh, uh, in, a, in a positive frame of mind. The, uh, uh, the, the wild card is, is government, and I don't, I don't think this is an environment that many of us really know how to predict uh, government has become unpredictable across many parts of the world, and we don't yet know how that's going to impact business, or maybe it fades away. But that's the way, you know, we're, we're I think, in wait-and-see mode to see will any of the, the, government, uh, the government question marks out there actually have an impact on the pipeline. But businesses are still focused on digitization. Consumers are still spending money. Uh, it's really the question, are, are these trade wars, uh, some of the some of the other macro environmental things coming out of government going to impact our, our pipeline, and I think we're in wait-and-see mode rather than having any uh, any view right now. Right now, I would say we, we probably haven't seen it yet, but we're uh, but we're watching it very carefully. Got it. Yeah, and Keith, to your questions on margins, so we've talked in the past about long-term margin targets, non-GAAP operating margin targets of 25%. Um, and we're really pleased to see that our HGM business is already there on a fully loaded basis. And so that really gives us confidence that we've got a very strong long-term operating margin and we can continue to expand uh, towards that long-term goal over time. Uh, but as you know, we are still heavily investing not only in financials but in you know, some of our other products uh, such as Adaptive and bringing them into the Workday fold. Uh, Prism Analytics, Workday Cloud Platform, and building out a lot of our industry modules as well, such as inventory for, for healthcare and supply chain. So we're very much in investment mode, but the, the proof of the HR business right now really gives us a lot of confidence that as we move towards those long-term targets, they are very achievable in the long run. Excellent. Thank you very much, guys. Next question it comes from the line of Heather Bellini from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. 
Thank you very much, and thank you for taking the question. Um, I, I actually had two for you. Um, first, I was wondering, Anil, if you could talk a little bit on SAP's decision to force migration to HANA. And I'm, I'm wondering if you see this as, you know, starting to help the pipeline of financial conversions. Are, are you starting to have conversations with customers about that, even though it's, you know, obviously many years out? And then the other question was on adaptive. You guys obviously sound like you've seen really good initial traction. I'm just wondering if you could highlight a little bit of the competitive environment here and what features are resonating the most with, uh, with clients versus what you had before. Thank you. Um, you know, on the, on the first question, uh, Heather, uh, and, and uh, nice to hear your voice, uh, I, I would uh, – I don't think there's any one factor we look at to increasing the pipeline. And, you know, a lot of the HANA customers that they're, they're pushing towards are using financials as part of distribution and manufacturing, and that's not really part of the sector we're targeting. I think overall the, the, the cloud momentum that started with Salesforce and the world of CRM then moved to HR with Workday and ServiceNow with IT is now uh, is now coming to finance, and so when you look at the the uh, viable finance products in the cloud, it's actually a pretty short list. And so as people are looking to transform their finance operations, and and as part of that move to the cloud, uh, it frankly tends to be much more about us and Oracle. And SAP doesn't really have a, a native cloud story, and and so uh, they they really don't factor into the conversation as much. And I I think that what they're doing with Hana is is kind of orthogonal to where we are since it's it's really affecting their manufacturing base on the finance side and we're not really we're not really targeting that sector. Uh Tom, do you want to comment on on what's happening in the world of planning? Yeah, <clears throat> Neil, thank you. So, I I think uh Heather, it's fairly similar to what uh we saw before the acquisition with a couple of uh important changes. So, the environment for planning continues to be competitive. Uh, it's a large and attractive uh, market space right now. Uh, as Anil said in the uh, you know, prepared remarks, we had over 200 standalone uh, planning wins this quarter. We had over 50 platform wins and 30 upsells within the Workday base. So I think the, uh, the attractiveness of the adaptive platform in large enterprise uh, customers, that's one of the areas that we're seeing uh, a lot of resonance. Uh, from a competitive standpoint, you know, we continue to see Anaplan, we con continue to see Oracle and others uh, from a competitive standpoint. Uh, but um, I would say one of the positive signs has been our traction with large enterprise customers. And those are more than FP&A use cases. That's holistic business planning across the organization where organizations are modeling all parts of their business and using Adaptive as a platform uh, to, to model and plan uh, all aspects of their business. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Kash Rangan from Bank of America. Your line is now open. Hi, Team Workday or Team Rock Day. Congrats on a fantastic finish to the year. Anil, I'm curious, when, when we hear a lot about digital business transformation, I'm curious how you would describe the journey for your customers. Is it like a multi-part, multi-phase journey? And as that journey progresses, you choose to characterize it that way. Uh, how do the parts of the Workday product portfolio align with uh, the journey towards digital business transformation? Thank you again. Congrats. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great question, uh, and, and honestly, it changes every day. Uh, 
at the highest level, it used to be 20 years ago when you when you talked about HR, you would talk about talk about HR with the HR leader and uh, maybe IT. Today, you always still talk with the HR leader, but you also talk with the CEO, and that is a market change to 20 years ago. And every company is trying to figure out, uh, or, or I would say every company that's that sees the world um, through the lens of employee engagement and how, how important it is to them is trying to engage their employees, get better information in their hands, uh, create great employee experiences. And so part of the transformation is, uh, from an HR perspective, looking at HR as people engagement and employee engagement and, uh, in some cases, partner engagement as opposed to traditional administrative applications the way they were thought of 20 years ago. And and that is a big transformation, and it's a big change management project. Uh, and I think in this, it's the same for finance. HR and finance together are going from being viewed as back office uh, operations in the world of client server to front office business partners to the CEO today. And and finance is very focused on you know helping the business make the right decisions along the way to 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 grow the business and, and make the business more profitable. And it's just it's just a different mindset than the way client service systems were implemented 20 years ago, where it was really just about automating business processes and making sure you could generate the right statutory reports. Uh, it's 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 pretty massive. It's happening in every part of the business, not just HR and finance. And what we ask our customers to do is to is to really think about how they want to transform their business, not just move to a new platform. Because if they just move to a new platform. They've they've missed a big they missed a big opportunity, and they got and the vast majority get that, and that was the reason why they switched. Wonderful, thank you so much. The next question. The next question comes from the line of Kirk Matternay from Evercore ISI. Lines now open. Uh, thanks very much. I'll add my congrats on, on the quarter. Uh, maybe just to start, actually, I had one for Tom just uh, around adaptive. You know, Tom, I think Neil mentioned that you know having you all there is actually opening the door to talk to more CFOs directly as they think about planning and connected planning as sort of a strategic imperative. You know, when you look at your customer base, how many of those customers have actually made a decision from a cloud financials perspective? Meaning, you know, how much uplift? Obviously, there's a lot of uplift of you being pulled into the workday customer base, but you know, actually, how many of those you know, adaptive customers have yet to actually make a financial planning decision? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, early days, but we're seeing a lot of interest. I can think of three specific customers that started with adaptive, and that was the early part of the conversation, so that quickly led to financial decisions. You know, obviously, the planning decision cycle, it tends to be shorter than a financial decision cycle. And so that's, a, that's what we'd expect. But I can let Chano comment on this as well. But I think we're seeing a lot of interest from financial uh, organizations in Workday. That conversation is often starting with financials. But we expect, you know, it's leading to discussions around financials as well. And maybe I don't know if uh, Anil or, or Chano wants to take this, but you know, when you think about the shift to more financials first, is there any I don't know, commonality from a – are you seeing it start in one particular vertical or one particular region, meaning is the U.S. in front of you know, the international market? I, I'd sort of expect that to be the case. But I was just kind of curious if you could address it from a, maybe a vertical perspective and, and, and sort of a geographic perspective if you're seeing you know, anything that, that stands out in particular on that front. Thanks. Chano, your thoughts on that? Yes, I can. 
Um, Kurt, um, well, as you know, we've mentioned before always that there are verticals where we see that it's more a platform mode, Clyde, and clearly we've mentioned verticals like healthcare, verticals like education, and some others that it is more platform. I would say that outside of those, it is more where is the compelling event and the reason for change in terms of order of priority, right? So if they see the, the change is that there is much more confident, as Anis was mentioning now, better understanding on the benefits of moving towards the cloud and transforming. So if a company is seeing that they're burning platform or their opportunity for growth and their need for visibility or, or agility or the way that they're engaging with their customers or geographies or business areas, it is more and it's having more impact starting with financials than they do a start there. I wouldn't like to really, you know, finger point to a particular vertical be more prominent than other, other than the ones I mentioned. I think that's more the reason why they can capture more opportunity or really they have fall a little bit more behind the investments that are required to, to compete and, and to have the visibility they need on today's business landscape. That's helpful. Thanks very much. The next question comes from the line of Alex Zukin from Piper Jaffray. Your lines are open. Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. So I'll, I'll try to ask about pipeline, both for, for HCM and FINS. If you could compare it to this time last year in terms of size and mix, and then maybe just for Robin, what are you seeing on renewals at this point with respect to pricing uplift and expansion? Thanks guys. John, I think that first question is for you. Thank you, Neil. Alex, thanks for the question. Um, we, we have um, you know, a strong or solid pipeline to be concrete to, you know, to start it at, at the beginning of the year and clearly today on the first month of our first quarter. So it's going to be a question more of a, the execution, which is, uh, I think, a good place to be. In terms of the percentage of pipeline, uh, clearly FINS needs to keep it growing faster as a total of the mix. Obviously, as the mix is still higher, that is not you know, a massive uh, movement in terms of percentage of points, but it is a significant movement. So clearly that one is, the financials one is, is growing faster as a percentage of the mix as you would be expecting. So that's, uh, that's good. And Alex, um, on your renewals question, so we continue to see very, very strong renewals. Uh, with net retention rates over 100%, growth over 95 we continually hit those marks quarter after quarter and did so again this time. We've got really strong add-on um, history as well and, and had great add-ons in Q4, and I think that the dedicated customer-based sales team that Chana put in place at the beginning of last year has really, really paid off, and we're, we're seeing very strong um, add-on sales. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Derek Wood from Cohen & Company. Your lines are open. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. I guess for Anil or Chano, um, you guys are uh, clearly putting up strong growth in prison analytics, but I think penetration rates are still fairly low. So do you, do you think we could see much greater adoption in the install bits this year, and what would be the key reasons for that? You know, we'd, uh, we'd hope so. Uh, it's a uh, it's a great product that's still uh, relatively young, and so it continues to gain capabilities. And I think the uh, the big part is um, 
uh, bringing out very specific use cases like people analytics. So we, we would uh, we would expect that the prism analytics momentum continues, uh, and I would hope I'm not going to give a time frame, but I would hope that over half of our customers will be using prism over the next several years, and we're not we're not anywhere near that level of penetration yet. I don't even think we're at 10% penetration yet. So there's there's a tremendous opportunity, and you know, a big part of it is Prism. Prism. Prism is metadata aware of Workday HR and finance. And if your analytics are HR finance based, it's a it's a phenomenal platform to bring other operational data into to do deep deep analysis. And and that's what our customers are experiencing. And I, I think that trend's only gonna only gonna continue. Uh, I think one of the things the team did a really nice job with is making the ability to bring in third-party data much simpler than what what uh, systems have been like in the past, and then the visualization is much better than what systems have been like in the past. And so, you know, we'll continue to invest in those areas. But uh, it's it's a very exciting product, and I expect it to continue to gain adoption rapidly. Great, thanks. And and just a couple quick uh, ones for you, Robin. Anything unusual with uh, invoicing timing this quarter? And then in terms of the 30% uh, growth in backlog, uh, was there any impact from uh, a duration standpoint there? Yeah, n nothing to call out on the invoicing front. I mean, we will still continue to see some fluctuation uh, based on that, but nothing I would call out in Q4. Uh, and on the subscription revenue growth, we did see a slight uptick in duration, which is you know, not unusual when we have a lot of large deals as we did uh, this quarter. Uh, so that was a, a small piece of it. Thank you. We will now take two more questions. Next question comes from the line of Richard Davis from Canaccord. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks. Two quick tactical questions. So one, um, since you're keeping adaptive independent, I think the answer is yes, but anyways, can an adaptive rep cross-sell an HR deal and vice versa? And then the second question is, you've done a good job bringing down the implementation costs, and I know that's not easy. Um, is there still material room for improvement? Thanks. On the second piece, there's always room for improvement, but, but we've taken it down from uh, in the medium enterprise from $3 uh, spent on integration to $1 software to closer to one-to-one. -one. So that that is pretty much best in class, and I think that's why, why our win rates in the medium enterprise have, have gone up so significantly. Um, as it relates to the, the first question, we definitely believe in the standalone business of Adaptive, and so Adaptive will the Adaptive team will continue to sell uh, the business planning cloud into uh, workday accounts and non-workday accounts. But at this point, we're not leveraging the adaptive team to sell the workday products. They'll obviously send over the, the leads, but we're not we're not doing that. There's definitely an opportunity down the road. Right now, we just want to be very focused on on uh, continuing the momentum that the adaptive planning team had built um, around the planning products. Adaptive Insights had built around the planning products. Tom, Great. anything you want Thank to add? Thank you very there? much. No, that's right. I mean, we, we've set the incentives in place, uh, as Anil said, to, uh, to make sure that the adaptive team is incentive to work, uh, you know, very closely with the Workday team. And uh, so far, we're really pleased with uh, what we've seen so far. Great. Thank you. We will take our final question from Brian Schwartz of Oppenheimer. Your line is now open. 
Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my question this afternoon. Congratulations on a great finish to the year. One question, just on, on the topic and the message about seeing the new pattern in the core financials platform demand in the large enterprise market, is it possible to stack rank the drivers of what's causing that between, say, market maturation to enterprise SaaS versus, say, competitor challenges versus, say, something specific with your go-to-market strategy? Thank you. Uh, I, I personally think it's just the maturation of the market, and so if if customers believe that they're equally okay to go down the path of starting with HR, starting to finance, they'll focus on whatever platform is burning, uh, you know, burning at a higher level. And if they view the finance platform, legacy platform being being the one that's on fire, they're going to re replace that one first. So. I think the biggest driver is the companies now view finance as becoming more mainstream for the cloud and uh, and therefore are prioritizing which, which of their platforms is the one that needs to repl be replaced the soonest. I wouldn't really, really, really tie it to competitors or to a different sales strategy. Our sales strategy has been pretty much the same, and I think it's been the right one the last several years. I think it's the maturity of both the view of financials in the cloud and, and our products. Thank you. This concludes the Workday Q4 call. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you.